0: Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Byrd of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. What's up, 168ers? Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. Uh, Today we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to talk about some uh, themes, concepts, words that we see in the Bible and that we engage with as Christians uh, throughout our week, um, things that are talked about a lot. And today we were going to focus on grace. So I think Jordan was going to get us kicked off. If he needs to correct anything from my intro just now, he will. And uh, yeah, it'll be good.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about grace. In general, we're looking to have some different categories we want to try to touch on in the podcast. So, one, focus on like a term or concepts, like with this one, grace. And then in a few weeks, we'll touch on a different concept. Uh, But yeah, the grace is the one we're going to touch on today. And to get us started with that, uh, looking at that word, looking at that term, I just wanted to read a few sentences, excerpts from something that pretty much everybody can access. who has the internet, which is pretty much everybody these days. And it's from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Big, long name. I get it. But... It's just a general biblical, or a dictionary of biblical theology that has just a variety of terms that you would find in Scripture and kind of gives a broad overview of, like, this is how this term is used in the Bible. And so you can access this same dictionary at BibleStudyTools.com. So it's accessible to pretty much everybody. That's partly why I chose it. Uh, this particular entry on grace is written by Andrew H. H Trotter, Jr., and it's a pretty lengthy excerpt, so I'm just going to read like snippets kind of from it just to kind of give us a baseline of a place to start with on this term. So, the excerpt from this dictionary says the word grace in biblical parlance can, like forgiveness, repentance, regeneration, and salvation, mean something as broad as describing the whole of God's activity toward humans or as narrow as describing one segment of that activity an accurate common definition describes grace as the unmerited favor of god toward humans in the old testament the term that most often is translated grace is in hebrew it's hain, or in the new testament is the term carries i think i'm saying that right I, I, I looked it up before and that's how i understood they, it. They so don't speak it so sometimes it ends up with the short long vowels different but One of the first places in the Bible that this concept occurs is in Genesis 6-8, where Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. So that's one of the first references, at least if you're looking at from beginning to end, of how our Bibles are put together. That's one of the first places that you encounter this term being used, or at least in relation to God to another person. And then, let me scroll down here. Once you get to the New Testament... Uh, One interesting thing, at least, that this um, article references, which I don't know if I've ever thought about before, part of me wants to kind of go back and double check, not that I really have a reason to doubt this person, but they mentioned that Jesus never is used quoting, is never seen as quoting or using the word that we understand as grace. But his teaching is full of unmerited favor of God. So the concept is there he is never uh, quoted or described as using that particular term. So it, to me, it's not really a big deal. Like the, the concepts there, that's really the important part. The term really is kind of irrelevant. Um, can, if you want to go super, super, super literal, it's like the term's got to be used, like, then you can quibble with that. But now you're quibbling with Jesus and what the record of revelation we have of Jesus. But, but yeah, in general, Jesus is, at least this guy says, Jesus never quotes Never is quoted as using that word specifically, but he does describe and uses a lot of other wording to describe the unmerited favor of God. So the concept is still there. Grace, as in in the Old Testament passages, is unmerited favor. But in the New Testament, it now has an aspect of power associated with the Spirit of God that has been added to it. So that's sort of one differentiating dynamic that this person's noticing as you look through Scripture As much as grace is unmerited favor of God, in the New Testament, it's the spirit of God and the power associated with the presence of God's spirit that gives grace a dynamic of power that you don't necessarily see in the Old Testament, or maybe to the same breath. You probably see a little bit of this, I think, in the Old Testament, but it's far broader for sure in the New Testament as God's spirit is poured out on all people. Interesting. This author says, Paul sometimes mentions the gift of grace from God using, uh, alongside it, language that speaks of human responsibility. So this can hit at the whole, like, what do you do with grace if it's grace and not works and salvation and that whole thing? Like, where does our human participation in relationship with God come into place if, if God is gracious to us and we're not supposed to work toward anything or like earn anything in that way? And there is a, a, a dynamic of responsibility or um, response if you will in, in that um, dynamic. Grace then as the author says is the power with which the human being then performs his or her gifted task. so God gifts gifts of himself if you will and then humans respond and do something with that is, is kind of the idea but it's it's initiated by God that's kind of what they're getting at. Perhaps the most dominant metaphor with which grace is associated in the New Testament specifically is the legal metaphor of justification. Hence, the unmerited favor of God buys us, humans, in relationship with God, legal freedom from our sin, or freedom in general from our sin. So that's that's probably the most known place, at least in the Protestant world, for sure, that that, that term is used. Again, going to the whole grace in relation to works and salvation and how that whole thing unfolds. Finally, grace is also associated strongly with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is true of the list of gifts in Ephesians 4, verses 3 through 11, corporately to the church and the gifts given to individuals within the church for its edification. And we'll kind of stop there with what this, this lays out. But that kind of gives at least a few touch points on where grace is referenced in the Bible and how it's used. And now we can kind of add our either experience with same things that this author is talking about or um do you want to critique any of what, what he had to say or um yeah anything from there but yeah what, what what would you add to what was already laid out here or add further to what was said
0: i don't know that i would add to his definition but i would probably reduce it uh in a way that's you know digestible for us today i mean like i think the layman has probably heard that grace, you know, is getting much better than you deserve, right? I think that's something that we've all heard at some point, like in our interaction with the church. But kind of what he said at the beginning has cemented my belief that grace is kind of the overall lens that we lay over all of God's interaction with man, and it should be the lens that we lay over all of our interaction with each other. So basically it's kind of like this defining aspect of our relationship with God and our relationship with our brother and sister. Um, I mean, just the fact, I mean, if you even think about it philosophically, I mean, if God is this great, compassionate, loving being. And we are just imperfect humans, right? Just the fact that he's willing to humble himself, communicate with us, show us that he loves us even in the beginning of time, is grace. I mean, that's that's amazing. And then obviously that's culminated to the ultimate expression of love by him offering his own son um, to be hung on a tree to become a curse for us, and his blood poured out from that body that was hung on the tree, um, which washed away our sin. Um, And I think for me... The way that grace is palpable in my life is obviously through what you talked about, like the justification stuff. Um, well, it's, it's all God, basically, that has made me right with him. He has redeemed me. He has brought me back into his family because there's a price for my own sin that I couldn't pay. But at the same time, um, a challenge in what grace is for me in the modern day is how I extend that to other people. So, right, I'm very happy that God has offered his grace to me through his son, but am I necessarily willing to give it to other people? If I'm being honest, um, you know, there are times where I don't, or I'm tempted to say, well, you know, I I, want to be gracious, but what you've done is just so bad, or you've wronged me in this way, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but... There are so many different stories of so many different kinds of people that if we were to interact with nowadays, you know, from the scriptures, I mean, being gracious to them would be difficult, but God was gracious to them, and we're called to follow in his footsteps. So I think for me, in my relationships with other people, that is something that I, I very much need to be challenged toward Um so yeah, I would say it's the defining the defining nature of my relationship with God or our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Now that I managed to get through that successfully without being distracted by the cat, I'm going to pick him up and put him down on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah, one thing for me with grace that I have become more and more aware of the older I've got and the more I have reflected on my relationship with God and and the way I've interacted with God and the, the way I've learned more about how I should mature in interacting with God is, and any, anyone at our church who's heard me speak before, I feel like I, I use this language a lot, so it's, it's probably not new, but just realizing that like everything is very much a gift from God. It's not that, Anything I experience in life is all because God, on his own, decided it needed to be there and then, you know, decides that I should exist is part of what he laid out with creation coming about. Not that he just, like, you know, made me happen. I mean, obviously, my parents and their choices, like, went into that. But it was all there before I had anything to do with it. Like, it's not like I made my experience of life happen. Yet, the culture we live within is very much, like, you determine, like, everything about your life. But scripturally, biblically, like, the the... The way of life we see Jesus describe and live and and show us is very much the opposite of that. And it's it's when it's received, it's one in which it's all gifted from God. And so there's a gratitude that comes back from that. But it it paints grace in that light, that it's a gift, that it's something that God on his own and of, of his own initiative presents or offers to me or to humanity. And I respond to it. So it goes back to, you know, this earliest example that this article gives of the unmerited favor, so nothing that Noah did, the unmerited favor that Noah received. You know, it wasn't like Noah bribed God into giving him favor. It's that God of his own choice chose to favor Noah and his family, if you will. And so the same thing with all of us though, right? Like we, because of God's own choice, knowing that we could even turn away from him, still offers us all of life that he has created to experience. And so it's, it's a gift from the get-go. And will we receive it as that, or will we distort it and twist it and, and treat it differently? And then that's where we get distorted ideas with like, well, if I want to experience the goodness of life, like I have to make it happen. So even if you could take the whole God part out of the equation, and we still feel like we have to work to experience it, which is kind of funny. I never thought about that till now that we would still like work to have our own form of salvation by working for it. (laughs) Even if you took God out of the equation, like that's, that's how a lot of people around us live life now or our culture, um, because it's, it's all determined on you. And yet that's not at all what we see laid out with, you know, at least in the Bible and how God interacts with humanity.
0: Yeah. I think, um, with this first example of like unmerited, And kind of your commentary on that, like, you're right. There's nothing that we can do to earn something that's better than we deserve. But I think in our own minds and kind of how our culture has shaped us, we think that, you know, we are the ones, we are the agents that craft everything that happens in our lives. Um, And the grace doesn't happen apart from what you're saying, like from God's initiative. It's him wanting to do this, you know, and knowledge of the negativity that could result that brings us grace. And I think, you know, we're also called into that kind of example in our relationships with each other. Knowing that we could be harmed by each other because we're imperfect people, um, we still end up choosing to be loving, choosing to be present for people, choosing to pray for them, to humble ourselves in service for them. We do that because God did that to us. It's out of this gratitude and favor and his initiative that that shapes and molds us into being the kind of people that he always wanted us to be. So I think grace is like, you know, it's not only this wonderful blessing that comes from God's initiative, but it's also this formational thing that kind of informs our lifestyle and informs how we treat our brother and sister. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but that's just kind of what I'm getting out of it. Like it's not just, it isn't just this amazing gift, which it is, which is in itself is great, but it's also formational in how it shapes and changes us to be better, to be more like Christ. So...
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that I feel like I can often fall into this temptation where on one hand, we'll ascribe to God that he doesn't keep a tally of all of the things we fall short of, of the fullness of life, if you will, of his way. So we're good with God not keeping a tally, but I for sure feel like I keep a tally of my doing the more right things in relation to the wrong things. And then when it comes to a certain, you know, circumstance I still fall into this temptation to believe that, well, because I have done XYZ and fill in the blank, I therefore deserve some certain kind of outcome, whatever it may be. But then that also shapes how we interact with other people because I can then very much translate my experience of life in relation to another person's experience of life and say, well, they haven't done XYZ that I've done, so therefore they shouldn't receive whatever it may be or they shouldn't receive mercy or compassion or love or my attention or whatever it may be because I have distorted that whole thing and translated it to how I interact with other people. Whereas if I were to, I mean, I'm not saying I don't, I'm just saying I, it's very much a temptation to do this. But have like you said, we need to be shaped constantly into, this is how God treats and interacts with us. It's one, how we should view our own life in relation to that, not our own sense of, like, where are the scales? Are they lower or higher today? It's based on what God sees of us in an eternal perspective. And then translating that also to how we interact with other people. Like, do we view other people or interact with other people how God views them? Or is it, again, back to our own version of, like, what's right wrong, justice, all that kind of stuff. And it's a temptation to not do it the way God would do it because the way our culture shapes and forms us to do that. Um, we were just talking before we were recording about how I was listening to, uh, the news report today on the radio. They were talking about one of the family members of the Buffalo shooting at tops was talking in front of Congress. And I don't remember verbatim what they said, but one of the the phrases or, or things that was said was, you know, we're, we're tired of, just having like the option of just forgiving and like forgetting was kind of like the language they used. Again, that's not verbatim. But it stood out to me of, I'm not interested in forgiveness is kind of what I got. And, and again, I get, like I don't have the emotional attachment to that situation that this person does. Were I in their shoes, would it be easy for me to say forgive? Probably not. I, I, I get that. I get the emotional part of that that would be very difficult to do. But it points to, like you mentioned earlier, I'm great with God looking past all of my stupidity or the things that I do that um, is horrible or bad or harmful, whatever it may be. But when it comes to looking at how someone else has done the same thing, do I offer the same thing to them? Do we translate that? And again, it's like, yeah, we're, we're called to be shaped and formed into the way of Jesus. And do we translate that to our interactions with other people?
0: So do you think like that's a result of kind of like Americanized culture of the whole individual, materialistic, consumerism type stuff of like, well, I have this with God, this is something that I have, and maybe our church looks at it like, well, this is something I have too, it's a bunch of people, it's a bunch of I haves together, rather than this idea of communion as humanity with God. Does that make sense?
1: I think I'm following, maybe say it a little bit differently.
0: Like... Like maybe like you know God's relationship with humanity is more of just a me and him thing rather than me and everybody else with him thing. Like, does that kind of shape it a little more? Like, does that yeah? What you were talking about, like that? I I because I feel like that's kind of where it stems from a little bit. It's like, well, this is my thing, and it's like really, it's our thing. I but. think
1: in our culture, at least in the United States, it's easy for us to sort of box in well, this is my American mindset about this, and then this is my Christian mindset about this, as if the two can be totally separate. And I don't know how, as a father of Jesus, you block, put a wall between the two. I'm not sure how you... To me, one either has to win out, or it's just so, like, unclear, like, that... You know, to me, like, the Christian part has should win out, regardless of the American side of it. But, like, But you live in the United States... I get that's like part of who we are kind of just by default, by living here to some degree. But I think we're, we can easily be like, well, that's what should be the case in the, like this system over here. But then I'm trying to live over according to the system over here. Whereas like the situation I was giving, I think part of with that situation is, there's just, I mean, the context of that situation is we're tired of forgiveness and letting things go therefore something else needs to happen and there's just a lack of imagination of knowing like what else there is to even offer for that situation but i think from like a christian or biblical perspective it's looking at the restoration that's possible in and through christ but if that's not anywhere part of your imagination of that situation like yeah i can see why you would think that's pointless and worthless because no something else needs to be done to solve it because well that seems to clearly not be doing it but it's you're you're already cutting off the source of it doing anything if it's not couched within and I don't know this person I don't know again there's probably a lot of emotion into that phrase when you have a family member who's had their life taken in the way that it was so like I get that it, it would be hard for me to to just easily act that way in that situation if it were like my you know parent or grandparent or some relative of mine like I get it I don't know if that's touching on what you were talking about necessarily, but
0: yeah, I think that that's summed it up.
1: But I think I do think there's like a wee kind of like, well, this is my life over here, and this is my life over here, and like they don't always translate to each other. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's that's kind of the answer to what I was asking: was the putting the wall between the cultural and the religious side of it, where it's like really one, you know, the more grace-oriented approach should inform the other, rather than. Well, it informs it only to an extent where it affects, you know, my American beliefs. It's like, well, the kind of it's supposed to lay a new reality over the reality you're currently in. It's not just supposed to yeah. be customized to your liking.
1: You made a point before we started recording. Maybe you can correct my phrasing, but like, I don't know if I just want to say joking in relation to the the situation, but like, to like emphasize forgiveness should be like a priority in a situation like that you made the comment of like someone would probably like almost want to hurt me for even saying that should be what should happen something like that right
0: yeah well i mean like grace the way of putting it like is probably like this like that grace is so radical with the way we think about things that we're i think we're going to end up on the wrong side of a lot of debates people are going to be angry at us i mean and then also there are examples of people who forgive, like, the you know, Christians who will forgive the killers of loved ones that will be on, like, TV to, like... I, I remember seeing this one clip of very much that situation on YouTube and, like, the reaction is shock and awe in this, like, we can't even comprehend how someone could be able to do that. So it's like, yeah, I mean, there's... Basically, it's it boils down to that, yes, there is room for discipline, punishment, and deterrence, but at the same time... That can't be separated from the hope that all fallen people have or the potential hope that they have in Christ, that there is room for forgiveness, even for murderers or mass murderers or um, the worst kinds of crimes that you can imagine. Because in reality, it's the whole Romans 3.23 thing, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have the choice between, you know, either getting on a high horse and pointing at someone who's fallen, you know, further than we have, or... You know, by recognizing that this is the result of a world that needs restoration, that will ultimately come through the second coming of Christ to judge the living and the dead. So, hopefully, I didn't dodge your question there. But no, but I I think I got it. But it it
1: comes back to the whole like we want God to be gracious to us, but do we are we we okay are we okay with that same grace being extended to this person who I think has done such a heinous whatever you want to call it kind of thing? And ironically, like who is Jesus put to death by (laughs) people who essentially fall in in his day and age fell into that same category. Like they were receiving a punishment for doing something heinous in that day and age. And yet Jesus offers grace, forgiveness, like you're going to be with me in paradise to a person that we would, most people would not want that for a similar kind of person today. And yet, is it maybe not the reason Jesus gets put to death because he's willing to offer grace to someone like that. Like the thing is, is that kind of thing will get people riled up and mad at you for like, how dare you like let you know, it's, the, the thinking is this isn't what's happening, but it's like, you're going to let them off the hook.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's as if like,
1: again, like that's what's happening. That, that's not what forgiveness is or what grace is, but it doesn't mean it's void of consequences and like meaning and purpose and, and, restoration and sanctification and all the things that make us godly and uh, restored the way god wants us to be like that's ultimately like what we're all hoping happens to to me to you to all of us even to the the person who's done stuff that we would consider worse than us but yet if someone suggests that like we almost get mad that someone suggests that and it's like well no wonder jesus got put to death
0: it's like you're treated like the forgiveness is worse than the act that you're forgiven. You're forgiving. It's just kind of strange. Um,
1: but again, like I, I get it. Like, yeah, I need to, to have someone like ripped away from you in that way. I mean, to, to, to forgive someone would be super hard. Like I, I I hope that comes across. Like I get, it's not a easy thing, that I think Christ and scripturally were called to do.
0: But yet, yet the, the counter-argument to it is that most people that call for the execution of those people are not directly involved in the situation. It's a mob of people that stand outside of it that want it to happen. It's, yeah, I mean, it's usually keyboard warriors on, like, Twitter or Facebook that call for this stuff to happen. Not necessarily the people who stand before Congress directly impacted by it. So, like in in some in some sense, like that's like the exception rather than the rule. I, I mean, I think for our like posture in Christ, like this is one way to put it. It's through an anecdote of mine of I so I went out I went to church in Fredonia while I was in college at Pillar of Fire Fellowship, and they were very involved in prison ministry, and even a, a large part. Well, I I say large, but a a decent part of the congregation held the belief, like, with the, the whole prison ministry thing, it's like, you guys are really comfortable going to, going and talking to those people about Christ? About those people? And that's how Pastor Jeff and Pastor Rich always talked about it, it was in the quotes, because they got it so often, and it's like, yes, even those people are worthy of hearing about the grace of Christ, because the fact is, they're unworthy, and that's what grace is, it's the appearance of God's favor to unworthy people. Um, And, you know, the lives of people who are driven to these horrible acts are usually based on a lack of hope or darkness or deception. And after the fact that, you know, I mean, they're in the middle of punishment and deterrence, they're, you know, no longer a threat to society locked up, they hear about how their life can be changed in the complete opposite direction and that's that should be a good thing like that should be the standard like we want we don't want to just kill people who do wrong we want to um you know we want to shape people to do what's right and that I think stems from God's grace and his forgiveness so
1: and in the fallen world we live in I mean while we're talking about this kind of particular subject Forgiving someone or offering grace to them does not necessarily mean it just negates like all consequences. It doesn't mean like right. if you had a murderer or something of that caliber that they should just be let back onto the streets. That's not what that's saying. It has really more to do with like, does grace negate? I mean, to me the question is, does grace negate consequent the consequences of sin? I think it does for sure in in the ultimate eternal sense of like. Um, it's going to negate that your sinful act is leading to your eternal death. And if you're clinging to Christ and and surrender your life to him, like that's not going to be the final consequence, but it doesn't mean that there won't be some earthly consequences before all things have been restored in that sense. And so it may mean you live the rest of your life in a prison cell. It may mean you barely ever see people for the rest of your life, which just sounds horrible in general. I mean, All of us who went through the COVID stuff, I mean, we could barely spend however many weeks it was, let alone if you had to do that, like, day in, day out, day in, day out, month after month, year after year, for however long. I mean, some people would say that's worth it if you had to die, maybe, but, yeah, it doesn't mean, like, people are just going to automatically trust you or will ever fully trust you once you've broken confidence or, you know, whether it's stealing from them, whatever it may be, like, there's going to be... Something that'll probably hang around you for a long time because of that doesn't mean the consequences disappear. But again, like we're missing the point if we think that's what forgiveness or grace actually means. um Even with, I mean, we don't have this written out, but like I'm sure. I mean, well, we know this, some of the story of Noah, but like I'm sure Noah did some you know ridiculous things in his life that God was probably not happy with, and He was just like, oh, well, you're not going to deal with any of those consequences. Later on, I mean, after the whole, like, arc thing, like, he's drunk and naked. That's the shame, the consequence of shame and all the stuff that comes from that. And even stuff that impacts his family and, and lineage down the line from that. Like, the consequences don't just go away, even though God is still offering his favor to him. And so hopefully that, that comes through in this part of the conversation. I wasn't really necessarily intending to go where we've all gone with it, but I think it's it's good to think about. And it, it's, I mean, this is the challenge, this is the this is what we're called to in following Jesus, right? Like it's not, it's, it's a fullness of life that we're, that he's offering to us, but it's, it's a hard road. It's the narrow road, right? To get, to get to it, to yeah, travel on.
0: I, I think in the, the conceptual sense, the takeaway is that, you know, grace is more radical than we can imagine. It's always a step further than what we can imagine. It's for all people. Um, and it's because most importantly that God is so loving and caring I mean, that's ultimately, it points us toward who God is, the character of God, who Christ is, the character of Christ, so.
1: I mean, one, my wife was watching one of these shows, I think it's on Netflix, I can't remember what it's called. No, no.
0: Oh, sorry, I thought it was actually, okay, No,
1: no, it's, it was a, like, kind of documentary thing, but it was a. Where they kind of go, they cover like a crime that happened and they follow the person in and through like into their sentencing in prison and some of like it shows some of their... It's
0: like a true crime.
1: Yeah, true crime stuff. But one of these that I saw with her was one where, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but this girl I think murdered this guy, but the parents ended up getting to know her in and through prison to where like they ended up with this like, I mean it's... It's like a how in the world have you become close, like almost yeah, family-like true. relationship. And it's, it's one of those like only by God's grace. Only someone through the imagination of God's kingdom is that feasible. Because otherwise it's like see you later. I want to have nothing to do with you. you. You literally are dead to me. Whether you are or aren't, like I want to have nothing. I mean that's just like that's the outside of Christ mentality, right? Um, But it was, it was just a picture of what this looks like. And it's just, yeah, it is. It's, it's mind blowing it from our earthly ungodly perspective. It's like, no, there's just no imagination for that. And yet this person is given hope, given, you know, the possibility of like what their eternal life can be like, like all those different things. I mean, I can't imagine the weight that's on their shoulders from what they did, and, and all that stuff. It does that, that doesn't go away. Again, the consequence doesn't go away. But it was a very cool picture to see of this actually played out in real life. So I was I was not expecting that to be the end of what this episode was. Like I didn't knew nothing about who these people were, and that that's actually what came out of it. So it was like, oh, like. Yeah, like that's That's an awesome testimony. I mean, it's sad that it took that for that testimony to come out, but it's how God can redeem a situation for sure. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? No,
0: no, I think it was a good combo.
1: All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of the podcast, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Bye, everybody.